Hey, this is Evan Jackson, Video Production Director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. Today, we're going to start a new series, The Invisible Enemy. You've heard this on the news, The Invisible Enemy, and it's always COVID. All right, that's not what we're talking about, because I don't want to even hear that anymore. I'm done. Anybody done? I'm totally done with hearing the news and uh, COVID this, COVID that. You can't brush your teeth now because COVID might be in your tooth. I don't, I don't know anything. They, they just, it's a new thing every day. Listen, folks, reality, there is, a, there is an element of reality that we live in. There has, we have to be careful, all those things. I get that. I understand that. That's why uh, somebody uh, texted me the other day, hey, the governor's opening up more seats in churches. I said, well, that's okay, but we are at our max. This is our max. We can't social distance people any more than this, so we can't bring any more people in until they lower those social distancing uh, requirements. Um, so, but I'm okay with that because we're doing our part to make sure that you guys stay safe. We love you. We don't ever want to put anybody in danger, but here's the thing. It's taken on a whole, this thing has become a monster. It is, it is infected, not just people's bodies, but people's psyche. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm a, I want to be completely honest with you folks today. I am feeling it today. I've had a week where I have just had this shadow over me. And I've told you in the past, I struggle with depression sometimes. And I'm not, I'm not afraid to, to show you my warts. I mean, that's who I am. This, this, this message, Lisa was saying to me this morning, she's like, she was praying over me because she was like, I think, people, I think the enemy doesn't want people to get this message. She said, I think you're being attacked because of this message. Well, maybe that's true. But I don't feel good. So today we're in this together. Understand me? Pastors aren't immune we are, we are people together. I need your prayers as much as you ever need mine. So today, I want to open up this whole series. This whole series is on fear. Let me just read you the, the, the synopsis of what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. In a world filled with invisible enemies, death, disease, evil, how are we to face what feels like an unknowable future? What do we do with our anxiety regarding the days ahead? So we're going to be looking at the books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to provide comfort and reassurance in these uncertain times. We're going to be in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians for the next week, month plus. Okay? My goal is to see how Paul's words to the Thessalonian church, when taken to heart, can help us face the future without fear. Week one, this message is called Worried to Death. Worried to Death. I want you to take a moment and just think with me for a second. What would you do if you knew you had three days to live? Famously, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 
just passed away. She was an icon in our country, opened up many doors for women. Um, and you heard it, it's been said, it's going around that her final words were that she wouldn't be replaced. I find that very hard to believe because I, I, maybe it is, but I feel sorry for her if it was her last words. Because <laughs> I can tell you right now, I am not going to be worried about this place in my last three days. I'm not going to be worried that the lights are on or the air condition is not set properly. I'm not going to be worried. What I'm going to be worried about is very different than my job. And I just I have a feeling maybe in the last few weeks she said something like that. I, I, I don't doubt that. But I can't imagine somebody on their deathbed going, I just wish that my job would be filled after. I mean, this doesn't seem normal, does it? What would you do if you had three days to live? I have a feeling it would be all about the most important things in your life. It would be about family. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely right. It would be about family. It would be about friends. It would be about the people that you love, maybe some people in your church, giving them a special, maybe, maybe taking the time to, to, to write down some special message for your church or, 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 your, or your coworkers, or something that's, that has eternal value and significance, right? Okay, let me, now, now let's move on. What if I told you you had a month to live? Well, that loosens things up a little bit. I can start thinking about me now. <laughs> interesting, interesting how our minds go there. I mean, don't, I, I'm not, our minds start changing, doesn't it? We have a little more time now. Maybe I'll do something for me. What if I told you you had a year to live? Well, now we're starting to plan vacations. We're going to see the world. We're going to, you know, things start, it becomes more materialistic as we Here's the thing. If I told you you had a lifetime to live, the things that were important when you had three days to live are still the most important things. That's, we got to keep a focus on what's important. We're so, my, my assertion today is that our worries are based in some stuff that doesn't really matter. If I told you you had an eternity to live, that might change your thoughts too. What if you didn't have to worry about those things because there's not an end date? I don't have to be, I don't have to worry about all the wealth or the toys and the things and the, you know, maybe I, because I'm going to be enjoying my life for eternity. Now this time starts becoming again, once again, the time here on this earth starts becoming about people again. Because we're saying, if I'm going to live for eternity, and I want them to live in eternity, if I'm going to live for eternity, and I only have this small time here, I need to make my life, my existence here about them, not about me. Because i got a whole eternity to spend. See, time matters. Time matters. What are the most, we need to keep focus on the most important things. Worry, and the, de- the, defini- the definition of worry is this. Mental distress or agitation resulting from concerns usually for something impending or anticipated. What does that mean? Worry equals fear of the future. That's what worry is. 
the more things that are unsettled about your future, the more you will worry. That's why we're talking about debt and Financial Peace University. We don't want you to have that stressor on your life. We want you to be free to live your life without having somebody else controlling it or something dragging you down. It's to be worried about in the future. What if I don't make my payments? What if I don't do that? What if, you know, things like that. So we have to understand that worry is fear of the future. I've been reading a classic science fiction novel recently. Anybody ever read the, the book Dune? Dune. You guys are not nerdy enough for me. Okay. Um, they're coming out with a movie for it, so I was like, you know what? I probably should read the source material because I like that kind of stuff. Dune. There's a really good quote in the book, and it's not Bible. Don't get nervous. But Frank Herbert's the one who wrote it. He says this, fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. It's like death by a thousand worries. Remember what the Bible says? Which one of you, by worrying, can add a single day or moment to your life? But, it's not in the Bible, but worry will start erasing those days. Worry is a killer. Worry is the mind killer, too. It, fo- it focuses you on things that you have no control over and takes the mental energy that you could use on things that you have some control over. It's a, it's a mind killer. It takes away your ability to think. This is what Jesus says about worry. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Is not life more than what you can touch, consume, feel? It's not about that. Your last day, if you had three days to live, I can guarantee you're not like, Shopping spree, right? Mall trip. No, it's not what you're thinking about. Well, in all honesty, if I had three days to live, I would start making a menu. So food, I don't know. Like, mom, can I get that chicken to van? You know, uh, 31 says this. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Stop. The pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. Why are you worried? Pagans have no foot to stand on. They have to run after those things because they don't have the realization that their heavenly Father has got them. You don't need to worry about that. He knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, people, people uh, play with that verse a little bit. All these things. People have a very vivid imagination of what all these things mean. You mean all the things? No, not all the things. All these things. No, you mean all the things, right? No, these things. What you wear what you're going to eat, all the things that you need, 
We think we need far more than we actually need. Hence, the debt. Nobody said amen in that. I don't know why. Plastectomies. People cutting up credit cards. I love it. We think we need more than we do. We, we've become a culture that believes that our toys are essential. He's not saying all those things will be added to you because you probably don't need them because they probably are going to bring you worry. But all the things that you need are there. He could take care of you. I love this, 34. For don't worry about tomorrow. I need this message, man. For don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. What does that mean? It means this. When you get to tomorrow, then you can think about tomorrow. It's not like some distant day is worrying about itself. That's weird. It means when you get there, you can deal with that day. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and everybody said, yes. Did you realize that the Bible is saying that being a Christian, a child of God, does not take away the troubles all the time? The troubles remain, but the worry is gone. Because we don't, we don't run after it. We don't worry. It's not something that we have to deal with on our own. We have a Heavenly Father who cares. That was the preamble to the message. The big idea for this message is this. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica to clear up a confusion, any confusion, about the second coming of Jesus so they won't be afraid of their future. Open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to read 13 through 18. First, we're going to do like a hop, skip, and a jump through um, the two books of, to the Thessalonians, the two letters to the Thessalonians. Uh, we're not doing a, a, a deep dive and do verse by verse, but we're going to, we're going to be touching, because Paul does talk a lot about being fearful and what we need to worry about in these two books. We need to worry about not worrying, is what Paul's trying to say. Okay, we're there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. But we don't want you to be un, uninformed, brothers, about those who fall asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. This is a passage that we, we often use at funerals. Okay, this is a very familiar funeral passage. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with a sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, will, uh, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we ever uh, always be with the Lord. There's that eternity I talked about earlier. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay, this is, this is Paul's, they're, they're concerned about what's, what, what about the afterlife. They're concerned about what happens, and it's causing them to be worried. And Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant. Knowledge is power. That's what I talked about during the worship set. Knowledge is power. When we know the word of God, 
the word literally will set us free. Because I'm telling you, folks, if we rely on our feelings, we are going to be a miserable people. Emotions, are, they fluctuate so much. I, I am a, there are some people out here who are like steady eddies, man. You know, they win the lottery, they're like, yeah. You know, they get in a car accident, like, eh, car's done. What's next? You know, they're just, they're just even keeled. Even keeled. Many of us are not that way. My life is a roller coaster of emotions sometimes, sometimes worse than others. If I relied on how I was feeling about a certain day or circumstance, it'd be overwhelming. I need to know truth that is consistent outside of how I'm feeling. Because emotions are fickle. Emotions are fickle. We have to have truth that will set us free. Paul writes to educate the believers in Thessalonica because he doesn't want them to be uninformed. He wants them to know the truth about death, life after death, and Jesus' return. His purpose is not only to inform, but to comfort them with the knowledge of the truth. There must have been some kind of teaching going around that... uh, concerned them about the afterlife. Usually when Paul writes something in his, his uh, epistles, it's to address an issue. Okay? We can seek comfort and truth from the Bible concerning our fears about the future. Those who sleep. Now, Paul uses the word sleep instead of die. Why? Because he doesn't consider these people to be eternally dead. It's not, it's not an end for them. He's talking about, he's putting, he's putting the concept of these people are going to wake. Jesus used this same terminology with, the, with the, the little girl who passed away. He said, oh, she's just sleeping. And everybody laughed at him. He's like, okay, just wait. Laugh it up. So you guys laugh, laugh when the little girl dances out the door. Because it's temporary. It's temporary. That's why he uses that term. Death is a temporary uh, uh, nature, has a temporary nature for Christians. For those who are in Christ, it's temporary. That this sleep refers to physical body and not man's spirit is clear within the context. On the basis of the resurrection or our Christian's hope, it's objectively real. We need to understand the concept behind hope. So many of us hope in hope. What do I mean by that? They're like, they drum up this concept, oh, I'm going to be hopeful. And that only does it, unless, it's, unless hope is based in truth, it's, it's not worth anything. Because as soon as your emotions change, oh, it, 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 it's, it's a straw house. That wolf will blow it over every day. But when our truth, when our hope is based in truth, it's something foundational that we can stand on. That's why Paul is writing this. Um, 
Paul is writing to them because he wants them to understand what hope exi- exists in Jesus. He uses the term Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ. He, he's, he's, he's really driving home the fact that our hope is in Christ. Our eternal reward, our eternal hope is in Christ. And if we believe that, then this world doesn't seem so scary anymore because it's only temporal. And it starts to focus our attention on what really matters. The church used to talk about heaven more. We used to have, in my old church, we used to have, like, every, every few years we'd have this guy come and he'd hang a banner from one side. Remember that? A banner from one side of the church to the other side of the church and it was this whole, like, timeline of the end times. The, uh, the church was kind of infatuated with the end times for a while. And then the church woke up to the fact that there's a lot of debate <laughs> over what the end times are going to look like and they're like, mm, maybe we should be. So, but here's the thing. We used to talk about the eternal hope. We used to sing songs about it. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout for victory. I mean, it was very like hokey, but it was, it was there. The truth was there, right? We just talk about it. We used to, we used to dwell more on the eternity of our the eternal nature of our souls. Maybe we need to think more about that. Paul seemed to think the Thessalonians needed to do that. Because when we talk about heaven and hell, we start to bring into the mind's eye what really matters. Let me go back to what Jesus said about not worrying. Unfortunately, either we get distracted or we intentionally distract ourselves from really pondering the deep issues. Why would one do that? It doesn't change the reality, right? But what does it do? Why would we not want to ponder? Because here's the thing. When you start to ponder it, it goes from theoretical to actionable. When you start thinking about eternity, it becomes actionable. You can't dwell on the eternal nature of the human soul for very long before you start thinking, maybe I should go to Mozambique. Or maybe I shouldn't be so concerned about the stuff around me. Maybe I should, my priorities should be different. And the fact is we like our misery many times. It's, it's entertaining. It's, it, detours, it deters us from having to be deep thinkers. Paul's saying, no, think deeply on these things. It will not only change your, your countenance and your spirit, but it will actually change your actionable life. The things you do, the things you make important. Makes us, so what does it look like to be um, captivate, captivated by the eternal hope? This is what God wants us to be. We are so captivated with the, this terrestrial world. And it's not surprising. I mean, we're inundated all the time. 
with things that are te- with, with media and, and, and advertisements that are telling you that these things are so important. I was talking to somebody the other day who has a, a liking for fashion. They'd like to watch the fashion trends and things like that. And they told me, they said, back in the day, there was like four seasons for fashion. You would, you know, you'd have your, your fall outfits. Right, ladies? Special shoes. There were rules about this stuff. Can't wear white shoes. When was it? Was Labor Day? Yeah, can't wear it before Labor Day. Because that was a, that was a season, and then they had a, the summer season. You had your fall, winter, spring, and summer seasons of clothing, and you would you you would purchase high quality clothing that costs a little bit more for those seasons because you plan to wear them on a on a cycle every season. Now, because of places like Walmart, Target, Kohl's, all these, if you went to Kohl's, we went to Kohl's the other day. I wouldn't recommend it. We went to Kohl's the other day. They're like whole sections of Kohl's that are like 80% off. We will sing a song and we'll give you clothes. Do a little dance, you can have our clothes. We just want it out of here. You are basically helping them so they don't have to put it in the garbage. Because right now, the fashion trends move. There's 12 seasons now. Well, you, now that you've heard this, watch it. You'll see the clothes turn over. Well, not right now because COVID's just put everything on hold. But before that, you'll see the t- clothes turn over in stores because they're cheap. They're not quality. But the fashion trends are changing so much that they keep it going. So I'm telling you, you will never catch up. But you will be told every day that this is vitally important. And that's just one example, clothing. You'll never catch up. Whatever the world tells you is important, you will never be able to grab it. It's like a, it's like a dog chasing his tail. If he got a hold of it, he wouldn't even know what to do with it. Same with us. If we got a hold of it, we'd be like, whoa, whoa. Am I happy now? I have no more worries. I caught my tail. We wouldn't know what to do with it. So what would, what would it look like to be captivated, captivated by the eternal hope? First, it takes our, the focus off of us and puts it on others. When we're captivated by the eternal hope, it takes the focus off of us and puts it on others. The things that are important, if you had three days to live, start to become important in eternity. Eternally minded. Number two. Because we are not limited by the shortness of life, we have time to breathe and enjoy the life we have been given. When we are eternally minded, we're not in the rat race anymore because we got all eternity. We don't have to be chasing our tails. We can enjoy the life that's been given to us. It makes Number three, it makes us more focused on the needs of others than our own needs. We start to see how blessed we really are. Our country's in a little bit of a mess right now. That's an understatement, right? 
But I'm going to tell you one thing. We are blessed in this country because many, most, I'm, 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 I don't want to make generalizations, percentage-wise, let's put it that way, the lowest income people in our country are far more wealthy than many, many other societies around this world. That's a blessing. You know what it is? It's also taken for granted. It's also taken for granted. Why? Because we, what do we do? We reinvest it in us. We reinvest it in us. When we start to become eternally captivated, the eternal hope becomes our cap. we start looking at what we have, the blessings that we have, that we do have, and we don't start saying, well, there's somebody else that has more blessings than me. Before I die, I'm going to catch them. That's a pretty shallow way to live a life. When we start saying, I am so blessed, what can I do? What can I do to bless others? You know the church used to be the source of most of the social aid in America? Not the state. Not the government. The church. We abdicated that role to the state. Maybe we weren't doing a good enough job, possibly. Maybe we got our attentions captivated in other things, like building megachurches and things like that. Maybe, maybe. I don't want to ditch the church too much, but I'm just saying, maybe we got focused on things that are not eternally, we weren't captivated on our eternal hope. We started getting captivated on what's going on here. Maybe. I'll let you chew on that one. Knowing that God ultimately has things under his control allows us to trade in the rat race for the simple life. Most people say, oh, man, I, I wish I, you know, I long for the simple life. They don't. Liar. I call you out on that. It's only when we get captivated by our eternal hope that the simple life starts to look more appealing. Because the rat race pushes us to a very complicated life. A life of keeping up. A life of achievement. A life of, uh, of doing one better or upping the ante. Never content, never happy where we're at, always looking to the next horizon and worrying about it. And worrying about it. I think Yoda has some kind of wisdom in there somewhere. But um, the verses that precede the verses in chapter 4 that we read today are very interesting, and I want to read them to you. And I think this has a commentary on our church and us, us as a people. I think in many ways the church has become too activistic. We had an interesting conversation this morning. We've got to be careful that the church does not become a political party, that it doesn't become an entity that's political. Got to keep the main thing the main thing. That's in our church. 
seeing people who are far from God discover new life in Jesus Christ. Right? Red, yellow, black, and white. Blue or red. Now we can have opinions on issues and things like that. And there's a lot to talk about there. But our number one concern has to be the souls of people. I enjoyed watching much of the, the, um, what went on yesterday at the Capitol. I thought that was great. You know what I liked about it? You know what I liked about it? It was basically worship and prayer. It was basically worship and prayer. There wasn't a whole lot of speeches. There were a few, but they were mostly to draw people back to God. There wasn't political endorsements and things like that. It was refreshing. Let's put it, let's just put it that way. It was refreshing. It was all about God. And I think it's important because I think we become, we, we, we may end up compromising truth for the sake of a, um, something that's not really important to this to the eternity. Here we go. Philippians 4, still in 4, 9. I think this is very interesting. I'm sorry, Thessalonians, my, my fault. Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, and then 9. It says this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Isn't that nice? Paul's being very kind. You guys are good at this. You guys have gotten this straight from God. You know how to love one another. Oh, that that might be said of us. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. So you're really good at loving. Keep doing it and do it even more. Love one another. Care for one another. But pastor, you don't understand. I don't agree with that, brother of mine. I don't care. When did that, that's still not in there. Oh, oh, we're only supposed to agree with the ones we, love the ones we agree with. Oh, it's not in there. It said, if you love those who love you, what thank have you? For even sinners do that. Pastor, we're so politically on different spectrums. Don't see that in there. Remember, the, remember back in the day? Remember that's one of those statements, back in the day. I don't even know if it's true. Whatever happened to having a disagreement with somebody without hating their guts? without trying to ruin their lives. Whatever happened to that? Wouldn't that be nice? You know, brother, I just disagree with you. Love you. Wouldn't that be nice? We might even say that, but then later on Twitter, canceled. Did you hear what Pastor Dave said? 
says, keep on doing it. Do it more and more. This is what he's talking about we should do. Keep going. And to aspire to live quietly. Whoa, 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 whoa. And to mind your own affairs. Mind your business. Mind your own business. Whoa. That's a crazy concept. You mean everybody else's business is not my business? If that were true, social media would be gone in a day. I mean, think about it for a second. Everybody's business is my business now. You'll notice, if you follow me on any social platform, my, my existence on social media is to encourage and to like. That's my, that's my whole thing. If I don't like what you're saying, you might not get a like. But I am not going to say it. I'll just scroll past it. Because I love you. I don't agree with you, but I love you. And if I do like it, I might push that button. Then you know you've done something special. Pastor Dave gave you a thumb. Who cares what I th- I mean, honestly, my whole purpose I was there to, to encourage me to throw a verse at you, say, hey, God bless you. This is the verse. Um, you know, something, I might like a picture that you put up of your family. That's so sweet. I like that. That's my purpose on social media is to encourage and to like things, to love on you. That is not necessarily the motive of all people on social media. This is a new world we live in, and I, I, I believe, I believe 100% that it is added exponentially to our worries, our concerns. I will go and say back in the day, you had two hours at night for them to tell you what the most important things across the world were news, what was newsworthy. Two hours. They had to figure it out. What's most important? Now, it's 24-hour news on like 90 different channels. And most of it is worthless. It's just there to keep you tuning in. It's worry bait. It's just to keep you clicking on their faces. Why? Why Why would they do that? Don't they have the best interest of the people in mind? You know those things that happen between the different shows? Those are called commercials. They're not worried about you one bit. They're worried about this. So they will ruin your psyche to get some coin. And there's an element of control there as well, power. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to take this and put it here today. We are worrying to death. We are, we are letting our fears destroy our minds. The fear is the mind killer. What does it say? And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own business and to, wor- uh, and to work with your own hands. 
what does that even mean? I haven't worked with my own hands forever. Work. Take your minds off of this garbage and do something. Go plant a garden. I don't know. Do something. Get a hobby. Watching news is not a hobby. Not a hobby. What's your hobby? I watch a lot of Fox News. Bad hobby. Not a hobby. Work with your hands as we instructed you. For what? So that you may walk properly before outsiders. He's not actually talking to outsiders here. He's talking to the church. He said, stop getting each other's business. Work with your own hands. Live a quiet, kind, loving life amongst one another. And, and, and what's going to happen is people are going to go, I need a little of that. That church is like an oasis for my soul. The people are just so loving and kind and care. And am I really, wow. I am really over. Ariel's cursing. She's like, no. The kids are jumping off the wall. All right, here we go. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. What does that mean for today? There's a whole lot of context when it comes to money, all that stuff. But what does it mean for today? Don't allow other people to dictate your mental state, your spiritual well-being, your worries and your fears. Focus on the things that matter. Have an eternal mind and let, don't let other people control you. Only focus on what the truth of this word says and let that be the thing that dictates what you think about I guarantee you worry less. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, forgive me for going over. But I need this as much as anybody in this room. God, help us. We're worrying to death. And your, and your word says, don't worry. That's two sides. That's two different things. What we do and what you say to do. Oh, help us, Lord. We can't do it on our own. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you, to, to be infatuated with the eternal, so much so that it affects our everyday. Help us to live quiet, peaceful lives, to mind our own business, to love one another and love each other even more so that we will not let anybody control us. Nothing of this world can control who we are, how we feel, because our eyes and our hearts are set on you. And we trust you to tell us who we are. You said we are your beloved. You said not worry because you know what we need. And you will give us everything we need, but we need to focus first on the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all the things that we need will be. Lord, help this message to make sense to somebody out there. Today. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. God bless you guys. Go and don't worry about it.